to get naked? I'm Kimberly Kane, and you're listening to The Naked Vibe Show, where you'll hear conversations with artists, musicians, healers, lovemakers, world shakers of all kinds, and get some great ideas for tuning your own creativity and intuition so that you can use them in very practical ways to live a life of excellence and joy and purpose. Today's show is sponsored by Rocket University, where you'll find rhythmic movement meditations that can create subtle yet powerful shifts in your energy. This is an audio download of nine meditations using drum rhythms that take you on a journey from a slow, deep groove that creates a peaceful strength, reducing stress and connecting you to your powerful primal senses, to a high energy rhythm that gets your juices flowing so you can use that strength to experience greater vitality, courage, drive, and passion in every area of your life. You'll find a link for these rhythmic movement meditations in the show notes on nakedvibes.com. Are you ready to get naked? Today I'm here with a good longtime friend who is also a music producer, guitar player, songwriter, and just all around great musician and collaborator. Jamie Perrineau, welcome to the Naked Vibe Show. All right, thank you. <laughs> this is going to be fun um, because we've known each other for a long time. And so we have way, way more that we could cover than we'll have time for in this show. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we're just going sure. to kind of let this roll and go where the conversation goes. You know, the first thing I want to talk to you about is your songwriting. So let me also tell you that Jamie has toured with Leanne Rimes, with Guardian, with Taylor Swift, and is now producing a lot of music for movies, for uh, major label recording artists, and then he has his own personal projects. And so we'll, we'll hear about all of that stuff. Um, the first thing that I want to talk about, though, is songwriting. And you are just involved with a lot of different writers and in a collaborative process with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And here on this show, we talk a lot about relationships and that collaborative process. And so I just kind of want to hear from you about the songwriting process and how that works in terms of the relationship with other people, the give and take of that creative process. Will you kind of talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. It's always a different experience depending on, you know, what the project is. You know, I have a couple of people that are like go-to people for me that I that I want to be involved with because there's a comfort level and mm -hmm. an experience level that comes in handy. But it's always different depending on, you know, who you're writing with and sometimes it's it's stressful. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and you're uncomfortable and you you know, you maybe feel insecure about throwing your ideas out there because you don't want to look <laughs> Like you don't know what you're doing or whatever, right. but I'm, I usually like to play the role of the person that'll just throw anything out into the room just to get the ball rolling. And um, it makes everybody else feel comfortable. If you're the stupidest person in the room, then everybody else <laughs> kind of goes, okay, I'm not the idiot here. <laughs> you know, that's great. So, that's a great quality. 
Yeah. <laughs> so that that actually helps. That's something I've learned, you know, because I've been that person sitting there uncomfortable. And then, you know, once that gets going and everybody feels free, then it's a lot easier to do. And then sometimes you have to be the person that just shuts the hell up because there's a flow coming from some other direction that you just don't want to interrupt, you mm-hmm. know, that I work a lot with a guy named Sean Gassaway, and he's a super talented songwriter. And I mean, the dude can sit there and close his eyes for 30 seconds, and you're like, what's going on with Sean? <laughs> and and then he opens his eyes and spews out all this beautiful stuff that he was just letting flow to him. And so you don't, you know, you don't want to interrupt. In those cases, you don't want to screw that up for somebody and if stuff is coming out you you want it to just continue to come on out regardless of where it's coming from you You know know, that's a great oh gosh that's a great point I mean I can hear so many things in what you're saying that relates to people in relationships period so you know we're coming at this from the standpoint of being music creators and songwriters and that kind of thing but in everything that you were just talking about it applies in every situation in relationships with other people and one of the things I talk about a lot is the fact that people have lost a lot of the ability to listen Um, doing what I call active listening so that you're not waiting for the other person to finish so that you can say what you want to say. You're actually just being present with them, doing exactly what you were saying. There's a flow that may be happening there that could just be brilliant, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And important, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. if it's, if it's someone you're, you're, talking with, you know, not necessarily a music situation, but just your spouse or whatever, what they're trying to express could be important. And it's, for me personally, it's been a process of having to learn to actually listen with that part of yourself and and be present, like you're talking about, and not just be sitting there calculating your response, but to actually listen and try to understand and feel what is happening and and find the right response as opposed to your defense or your mm-hmm. your volley or mm-hmm. whatever. And don't you find, back to writing with Sean, that when this beautiful thing comes from him and you've been allowing that process to happen, don't you find how often that you don't have to think so much that it connects immediately to something inside you and that you're kind of just in sync? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You can get on that level with people, and he's one of my main songwriting partners, but I I write with several other people and have had experiences through the years, and it's great when that happens. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't always happen. Right. You, sometimes you just have to kind of manufacture something. and mm-hmm. Those amazing flowing experiences make the other ones, I think, doubly hard because you know how it can be and how it is sometimes, right? And so when it's not like that and it's more having to work at it, <laughs> it's like... <laughs> yeah, totally. And then you get into that, okay, what am I doing wrong? What's going on here? This this person that I'm writing with is going to think I'm an idiot. You get that going on and it's like you become your own worst enemy. You know, yeah. you have to... You have to really take a deep breath and become present, you know, as you were saying, and deal with that moment. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you were talking to me earlier about the movie work that you're doing. You know, as songwriters, we're also visual people. So there's 
often a story that's maybe being played out in your mind, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then movies, you have the tangible part of that where there actually is a picture there. And I was asking you earlier about whether you're writing for the picture that is already there or whether you've got a song and a producer says, wow, that fits to my picture perfectly. Uh, tell me about how that works, how that's been working for you. Well, you know, it kind of goes in every direction. Um, in so, like a couple of things that I did recently were were just songs that I had incidentally written with somebody and cut a demo for it and it fit and then it got put in a movie. But one thing that I did recently that uh, that we wrote specifically with the plot in mind, you know, we weren't getting to look at picture and stuff. Nothing had been shot, but the, we had a, a general direction and, and wrote Help Me, the song that Cat Perkins ended up singing. Right. She was the girl on The Voice a couple of years ago. I think she was up in the top five. But Sean Gassaway and I wrote that, and we made a demo of it, and the director loved it, and then we cut it for real. And we hired Kat to sing it, and she liked it enough that she wanted a version of her own to release. So we basically just did a remix. All right, we'll listen to a piece of that song just so you can hear what Jamie is doing creating music for picture for movies because this is a whole different level of collaborating there's a lot more people involved so here is help me written by jamie perrineau and sean gassaway recorded by cat perkins somebody That was Cat Perkins doing the song Help Me, which was written by Jamie and Sean Gassaway and produced by the two of them. You know, you've got so many different creative aspects that you've brought forward as a producer and then as a guitar player, which is how you worked with with us. Um, Jamie's a phenomenal guitar player, and so he has played with Leanne Rimes, Guardian, Taylor Swift. Uh, tell me a little bit about your experiences as a player touring with these artists and, um, you know, just over the years, what that's been like to be a player. Well, you know, it's really a blast, all that stuff. Um, you just get to go to fabulous places and, and see the world from that perspective where everybody's treating you really well for the most part. And um, I've just been really fortunate to get to go to some really crazy places and do some crazy stuff yeah <laughs> um you know sometimes it's sometimes it's uh 
it's a beat down just the traveling and if you have to be on a bus and all that and mm-hmm. and it's hard to for me it was always hard to rest i couldn't sleep on a bus very well but luckily i didn't have to do too much of that i got to fly most places and um and then sometimes it's you know it's heartbreaking like when it was leanne rhymes we had a really good set of guys and girls that everybody just really loved each other we had a great time and then you know, after a few years of it, Leanne just up and changed the whole scene, and everybody was fired. She got new management, and mm. the new management got a new band leader, and he hired all his buddies, and it was over, and it was heartbreaking. And we were all friends and and really loved each other. It was hard to understand. That was really my first experience on a on a truly like you know top level pro level thing, and. And it ended like that. And then I ended up on a lot of other similar gigs, and, and I realized they're all like that. <laughs> right. Yeah, like <laughs> It's you, almost you, always like that. We start recognizing it's a business, like any other business, yeah. right? Yeah. And, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And a band is very much like a, a family, and uh, working with your collaborative songwriting partners, your creative partners, that's like a marriage often. And when you're sharing creative endeavors, you're sharing the deepest parts of yourself. For sure. Yeah. In a lot of ways, you are. Mm -hmm. I just remember being able to travel with you and long road trips and things like that. And one of the interesting things for me was, along with you and some of the other players that I've worked with, guys that can just hang with women, and you've worked with a lot of women, And you're one of those guys who's able to just really hang with women and be your masculine self, but also be a friend and know, you know, when to rein in the hardcore dude stuff, right? You mean like, you mean like when to not pass gas? (laughs) (laughs) That that among other things, right? And it's so funny. It's so funny. I was thinking about this earlier. I was thinking about, you know, some other not not with any songwriters or musicians that I've ever worked with, but just in situations like doing a voiceover in a studio or whatever. And there's certain men who don't know how to hang with women. So it's like almost every other thing they say is like a sexual innuendo. And it's like, what? what is the difference between guys who do that and then guys like you and guys that I've had in my bands where they can say something, you can say something, you can make a sexual innuendo, and it's not a big deal. It's number one, it's not threatening. It's, um, it's just totally a normal part of the conversation. And then guys who don't know how to do that, you know what I'm talking about? Well, I mean, it's probably like intention, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. when you're around a bunch of musician goofs, you just kind of expect people to to be goofing around and, you know, making mm-hmm. off-color jokes, and musicians are notorious for that, exactly. and it's just fun, you know. Exactly. <laughs> Everybody sort of enjoys that type of humor to some degree. And sure. I mean, but I'm sure there's other... There, I'm, I mean, I'm certain, I know exactly what you're talking about, that there's men out there that are trying to see where your line is probably, you know, mm-hmm. and how much you'll, and it's a maybe even kind of a form of, of flirting or, you know, trying to see what else might be out there. Yeah, what, <laughs> like what's, a, what is, a, besides the voiceover, what else is available to me, right? 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. What are the possibilities here? It's like, and you're like, dude, really? <laughs> so working with a lot of women, it's funny. I got an opportunity to write a song with a WWE superstar. <laughs> WWE? <laughs> yeah, her name's Mickey James, and she's like the champion. She's a total like worldwide wrestling superstar. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> And she's also got a singing career, and she's got a deal with the major label. And so she ended up coming into my studio, and she's a really cool chick. And talk about someone who's probably experienced a lot of harassment oh, over I'm the years. Sure. Oh, gosh. I'm sure. She's, she's had some crazy experiences and has done a lot of things in the entertainment business and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Out of all the people that I wouldn't want to try to push around... <laughs> Not that I'd push anybody around, but definitely not this girl, because she would totally kick my ass. I mean, literally, she could pick me up and throw me down onto the floor. She knows how to do that. (laughs) That's in her skill set. Kicking your ass is totally like... (laughs) Kicking a grown man's ass is one of the things that's on her resume. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That sounds amazing. (laughs) It really expands the whole songwriting experience. But like you said, she's a singer. And so it's funny. I mean, as creative people, there's always a lot of different cool things that we do. I mean, we've got a lot more facets to ourselves, right, than what necessarily is seen by the public or people know us as one thing, you know. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, sure. You get into the to this world doing, you know, drumming or guitar playing mm-hmm. or singing. And then, you know, as you grow, you grow more skills and you also grow more need to like make an honest, legitimate living out right. of it. So, yeah, absolutely. Just keep expanding yourself into different ways and different areas. That's fun. And it's like right now, I've thought about this a lot because right now we're in this, you know, hashtag me too thing that's going on. And so many women that uh, have come out, you know, saying they've been sexually harassed. And it's like, I... I get that. I have too. I don't. I don't think there's a woman around who hasn't dealt with that. We all have. Um, but it got me thinking about how difficult I think that can be for men with so much of that being in the news media right now. It's like, how does that affect you, or does it as a man? to feel like, wow, now, you know, now what do I do? Where's my line? Do I know, um, you know, what things I can and cannot say and where your comfort level is with just being yourself? I mean, has that affected you? Oh, man, I'm, I'm so glad you brought this up, because this is a discussion I have with my wife all the time. And we see this, um, you know, you see all this stuff coming out on the news, and someone has simply been accused and probably right now with what's going on, probably most people that have been accused have have actually participated. I mean, you have mm-hmm. to, you know, you have to be honest about it. And a lot of the guys, once they've been accused of it, they actually even just come out and go, yeah, I acted like a jackass and I, you know, mm-hmm. I apologize. And so that's that. But yeah, it's a, it's, I mean, it makes me think, you know, I have a lot of women that come in my studio and, and, uh, and a lot of guys, and we're in here together a lot. And and I have to tell you, when somebody makes an off-color joke, I just cringe. I mean, and, and I haven't always felt like that, but it's like, oh, yeah. my God. You know, what if that didn't sit right with this person that I don't really know that well? I don't know, you know. I mm-hmm. So it's it's a kind of a scary 
kind of a scary thing. And I mean, I've just made a habit, honestly, of just staying away from it. It, it mm-hmm. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be disrespectful to my wife more than anything. I, I mm-hmm. She's trusting of me to be around a lot of women, and I don't want anything ever to to break that trust. But, um, but yeah, exactly. It it makes you think, and it it really it's sort of slightly. I don't want to. I don't want to make it sound like it's unfair on me, but it makes me think about something I've never really had to think about before. Exactly. And for me, I think one of the hard things about it is things that we haven't had to think about, like you were talking about, just as musicians and stuff. You know, we have a lot of fun. We're able to just hang with each other and make those off-color comments. You know, or the guys are and. I know for Kelly and me, that's never been a problem. We know that these guys care for us, Mm -hmm. that there is respect there, and that that's not something that's intended to hurt us in any way, or it's not something that's intended to try to get something from us. That's what we know. Because it goes back to, you were talking about the intention. You can actually feel people's intentions. And the problem is not everybody knows how to feel an intention. And it's like, so someone says something and you're, and immediately someone may go to that place of thinking, well, that offends me. Someone shouldn't have said that without really feeling what the intention was there. Exactly. Uh, I mean, you're, you're speaking words that I say all the time and, or really mostly think to myself, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but it's so true, you know, and also I realize that this has been a, a one-sided thing for, I mean, forever, for decades, yeah. at least. Mm-hmm. And that's bad. And and women shouldn't have to endure that. The one negative that's going to come out of this, in my opinion, is that there's going to be, if it hasn't happened yet, there's going to be people that take advantage of this new power and just take anything they can to use it against somebody and... And, that uh, concerns me too. Mm-hmm. That's what's scary to me is anybody could take something you say out of context and use it against you. Right. And the pendulum is swinging back the other direction now to where that's going to become an issue. And I don't, I, you know, I'm, I try to, I don't usually say this because it's inflammatory and it sounds like I'm not compassionate or sympathetic towards the real issue, but I am. It's just funny. I see the other side of it too, because I'm a man that has a lot of, you know, frequently around women and and it has made me think, you know, I got to not put myself in that position at all. And it has definitely Mm -hmm. become something I never had to think about. Well, do you feel like that it dampens a part of your personality? Um. Yeah, maybe sometimes. I mean, uh, thankfully, the people, with the exception of one or two, the the people that I'm around mostly, I I don't have to. I don't think I have to be watchful of that because mm-hmm. they're like what you're talking about. Everybody feels each other and and understands mm-hmm. intentions and stuff. You just, I don't know. It's a, such a delicate subject. I hate to even say anything, Isn't but you it? just never know when you're gonna piss off the wrong person and they're going to take some some something and and use it against you. <laughs> right. I right. And I think as people in all relationships in order to be open-hearted and loving, we have to have enough compassion and give each other enough 
wiggle room, I guess, you know, to allow people to be themselves. And I also think we have to be strong enough, especially as women, to even give subtle cues. And if that doesn't work, to give even less subtle cues, uh, you know, sometimes even blatant about saying, okay, that's where my line is. (laughs) Um, You know, right? But like you're talking about, maybe in this rock and roll world that you and I have been in, um, there is more leeway there, more so than there would be, let's say, in a corporate office, that's for sure. Because we're in a band or in studio work, we're governing ourselves there. Whereas in, like, say, in a corporate situation, you've got a hierarchy of governance there. And so people are following rules. And I can imagine that it can feel like it's being very clamped down. But now, like you're saying, it's starting to infringe there on your world of being in the studio. And Oh my gosh, though. I mean, we've seen so much in the news about movie moguls Mm -hmm. and, you know, agents and, you know, and I've had to deal with that with agents also just uh, with women behind closed doors. And in order for me to help you out, this is what you've got to give me in return. And it's like, wow, dude, really? So I, I think for me, all of that stuff, you're right, a lot of that stuff needs to come out. But it's made me feel sad, though, for men who I really respect a lot, and that I've had so much fun working with over the years. And I just kind of wanted to ask you about that, just, you know, in your daily life, if you feel like it's affecting you in in your work with women coming in the studio. And um, I, I feel like we we have to talk about that aspect of it, too. It's not just the women. It is affecting great, upstanding men, too. Yeah, you know, I think it'll even out. I mean, I don't I don't want to, I definitely don't want to turn myself into some type of victim. It's, it's a thought that right. has, you know, it's a thought that definitely, I think, naturally occurs to, to men. I, don't, I definitely don't want to create the impression that I'm unsympathetic to the real issue. I know it's a huge issue, and I think back on, you know, like, think of what's gone on in the music business for the last few decades. Mm, I I mean, (laughs) that's going to start coming out, too. And there's bound to have been just, just leagues of of abuse going on there. And it's not really funny. It's just kind of, you know, from the rock and roll perspective, you're just going, oh, boy, wait, oh, boy, is right till they uncork (laughs) that, that thing. That's going to really, I'm sure that's, that's been going on. And um, another thing I wanted to say about myself is I've, I've never, the, just because I've been fortunate enough to be in this business since I've been old enough to be in any business, I've never done anything mm-hmm. else. So I don't, I don't really see, see that happening to people. It's never happened in front of me. I've never been a, really a part mm-hmm. of that. So my perspective is limited. I, I can only really draw from, you know, you can only imagine what has happened that you that you can't, that you haven't seen. I can only draw from my own personal experience. And, you know, once again, I, don't, I definitely don't want to make it sound like I'm some type of victim when there are real, actual victims of this out there you know, uh, women, you know, you, you just brought up something though. That's a really cool, interesting thought though. When you're saying you haven't really witnessed it, um, it made me realize. And, and like I said earlier, Kelly and I've both been extremely fortunate in the guys that we've worked with so many over the years. I mean, you and most of the others that we've ever worked with are just 
jewels in our lives. I mean, it's a family, it's an extended family. And you've always treated us so well, always, you know, on the road. And I mean, golly, you know, bands, we've all been in situations where we've been in close quarters together for long, long periods of time where people get really punchy. (laughs) And still, still, we always felt respected. And I'm thinking also that guys like you, who do respect women, it gives you more leeway to be playful, right? And to be able to do some of that off-color joking because you've already created a sense of safety for that woman or those women that you're around. And it makes me feel like that if you're not witnessing it, it's because your presence in the room can also prevent guys who would be predators, let's say, from engaging in that part of themselves because you're present. Well, I mean, that would be great. I hope that I have that presence. I mean, another part of it I just I thought so. of while you were talking about that is is another part of it for, for me was upbringing. I was raised, you know, with good parents. My dad traveled a lot, so I was with my mom a lot. My mom had three sisters who I was also with a lot and spent the summers with with my one of my aunts and and I was just taught that. I mean it would yeah. I would I would hate to think that I had made a woman uncomfortable in, in some way like that. Now, you know, joking around and whatever, that's different, but you know. That's different, yeah. And you know, that's so cool and I'm so glad that this has entered into this conversation because I think men need to be able to hear this side of things right now. That's one of the things that I want to say to men is wow, we need you to still be men. We need you to not clamp down your masculine presence, your masculine essence because that's what makes that interplay between men and women is part of what makes life spicy. That's part of what allows us to be creative like we are, because without calling it sex, let's call it sexual in terms of we've got this masculine feminine uh, energy that's at work that creates this sexual dance, if you will. And that's what creativity is born out of any kind of creativity, right? Yeah, sure. Um, there just has to be a level of trust that that you know yes. that's what is key. I think is, you know, you were talking back to when you and I and Kelly used to hang out all the time. There was just, I mean, just trust. You know, we just trust that you you didn't ever have to think with any of us. I remember the guys no, that you ever. didn't have to think that of any of us. You just trusted everybody and right and. Uh, And that trust, you know, that's like a lasting thing, even though we haven't um, been collaborating or working together in years, we've come back together recently and found, again, the things that we always had in common. But as we get older and grow as people, that foundation of trust that we created is always going to be there for a lifetime. And so it then allows us to come. And I think when we were visiting in Nashville last year or so, and we started talking about spiritual matters and the things that we were reading and looking into now, uh, you realize that some of those deeper things that you don't talk about with just everybody Um, it was there and we could just launch into that because we have this foundation of trust that we created a long time ago, you know? Yeah. And the trust is key to working together, I think, just because you you extend yourself in so many ways that you make yourself vulnerable by just even Mm -hmm. throwing ideas around, you know, 
your idea isn't accepted or something, you trust that someone's not going to put you down or you Mm -hmm, can make yourself vulnerable in so many ways when you have trust because you know who you're dealing with isn't going to take advantage of you or Mm -hmm. or do something to manipulate you. Or there's so many reasons and why you need to have trust in a, especially a creative relationship, you know? Absolutely. Talking about vulnerability, what I would love, if you would play just live, this would be a beautiful place to do that. Okay, I'll play a little bit. Uh, this is just a little guitar piece. Played it for the guys in Guardian. It was just based on the this little riff, and they liked it and said, oh, we should make that into a song. So it ended up being called Almost Home. So that ended up being the intro for the song, and then it came back um, as a bridge. (laughs) Nice, nice. That's beautiful. So (laughs) I was just talking to you earlier about your guitar solo on the song we recorded, House of Pain, and I will play that later because that's... I still love, love that solo. So, and here's something funny too, is when we played together in Frankly Scarlet, you weren't too much into playing acoustic guitar at that point in your life. (laughs) And I know now what moved you into the broader spectrum of playing? Well, I've always loved playing acoustic. I I just think it maybe wasn't the venue for my acoustic playing, but uh, I've always loved it. I mean, I played classical guitar in college, Mm -hmm. had to spend a lot of time with it in order to um, pass the classes, you know. I forgot about that, yeah. And I've always loved it. I've always thought I'm really probably a better acoustic player than I am an electric player. Really? Yeah, yeah, I just like the sound of the wooden instrument. I don't know what it is. I just like the way it speaks. I mean, I love playing electric and turning it up really loud and screaming through a loud amplifier sure. but um but yeah I always, I've always just loved just the sound of the the woody sound of an acoustic guitar Does it feel more intimate like between you and the instrument? Yeah, I guess um it does especially when I'm just playing for enjoyment, you know, it's kind of in a way, it's kind of a hard instrument to play in front of people because when you when you plug an acoustic guitar into a direct box and play it in that way, it doesn't have the same sound. It's kind of you know sterile and and tinny, and it's mm-hmm. hard to it's hard to play from feel mm-hmm. because of what you're hearing, what you're getting back in return is not what you're used to. You know, with an electric guitar, it's pretty much the same. But so it is an intimate an intimacy thing in the sense that it just it's just so fun to to just sit and play one when you're by yourself you know Mm -hmm. i would love to hear some more um one of the songs that i really like is firefly tell Mm -hmm. me a little bit about that and let's play that song 
That came from uh, that. I wrote that with my buddy Jamie Rowe. He's the singer in Guardian. Guardian, incidentally, was a huge Christian metal band in the '80s. They were really up there with like Striper and kind of on the cutting edge of that whole Christian metal mm-hmm. thing. Um, Jamie Rowe was the singer in that, and then this is just kind of a funny story. They asked me to sub on a gig in Buenos Aires, Argentina. And I knew the drummer, I was working with him on some stuff, and he asked me, and I said, sure. And just in conversation, he said, man, get ready for this, because you're not going to believe how popular we are there. You're not going to believe these crowds, uh, the way they, the way these people react and how they treat you. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I've, I've been in front of big crowds with big artists, and I thought, you know, I knew what was going on. <laughs> And so, so sure enough, we get down there. We get, and the minute we get off the plane in Buenos Aires, there's people like standing there with video cameras and cameras and following us around. And, and I was, everybody knew who I was. This was kind of the very beginning dawn of Facebook and all of the social media stuff. And, and they already knew that I, who I was. And it was a crazy thing. And we played our first show, and it was in front of 80,000 people in this, <laughs> I swear, in front of this park, in this park, in this big, at the square in downtown Buenos Aires, which is a huge city. That's crazy. And after this show, it was one of those things where you see it on TV. I never thought I would really be involved in this, but the security had broken down. And the whole backstage area, which had you know previously been boarded off and roped off, it was overrun with fans. Wow. And we were trying to get out of there with guitars and whatever handfuls of gear we all had. And th- we were encircled in policemen. They're standing around us like the Beatles, old <laughs> Beatlemania-looking things. I couldn't believe it. I, I mean, it really, I was like, this is scary. They were trying to get our stuff from us, you know, wow. and, and, and you get in the car and they're beating on the windows and the whole thing. And oh, wow. it was just like, wow, I mean, it's cool to have that experience. I had no idea that was about to happen. It's, it's cooler thinking about it like after than being like right in the middle of it, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, it was fun. And I'll, <laughs> I, I'll be honest. It's one of those things you always want to feel like I, you always want to know what that feels like. And right. So it was fun. And um, now you know. <laughs> I just didn't believe it. I was like, yeah, you guys aren't that big. And then... <laughs> I, <laughs> and you're like, okay. Yeah. 80,000 people who are going crazy and literally wanting to touch you. <laughs> yeah. So let's play Firefly. This song you wrote with Jamie Rowe? Yeah. Jamie and I were writing a lot together at the time, so I just took that idea to him, and we wrote that together and recorded it. We really did all that stuff just out of the love for doing it. We didn't ever have any real direction. It really started when we were writing for the Guardian record that we did together, and we liked the things we were coming up with. And recently I pitched them to Universal Music Publishing, and they're on hold right now to be pitched to movies and TV shows and stuff like that. Oh, a bunch perfect. of those tunes, so yeah. Let's take a listen to that. This is Firefly. There's a firefly trapped inside It burns so bright that it caught my eye Shine a light in your deep blue night Till you wake up with the sunshine bright upon you Oh, 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 oh. 
was Firefly. Tell me about that song, Jamie. That's such a great song. Well, you know, it's kind of about um, just listening to your inner voice. It's basically saying there's a source for you to go to that has all the information and guidance you need. You just need to listen to it. It's in there. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just being in touch with that. What was the progression going from a literal Firefly into a song? Well, the whole firefly being trapped inside and lighting itself up just kind of was an imagination thing. I don't know that it was, you know, any real spiritual moment, but it made me think of that. You know, so many times when you're writing a song, it just sort of happens by accident what mm-hmm. it ends up being about. And you're halfway through the song and you're like, oh, this this is about this and this. And coincidentally, with air quotes, Coincidentally, yeah. it, it turns out to have some meaning that you didn't even know it it had when you started, you know, and that's, I think that's what happened with that. Yeah, it's just a really magical thing. When we were talking when I was in Nashville, and you shared with me that you'd been reading the I Am Discourses, and I had heard about it at that time, and we talked about A Course in Miracles, and we talked about other spiritual works, you know, the Bible, and just deep, deep spiritual things that um, had created new, 
awarenesses in us. And then you sent me the I Am Discourses, and I loved reading it. I just, it it felt so meaningful for me at that time. And you were sharing with me the other day that you've got some different thoughts on that now. And um, share that with us, what you were telling me. Well, I got into that book... Dr. Wayne Dyer was the one that kind of pointed me in that direction, something he was talking about in one of his books. So I was into that. And as far as the message and the sentiment of that, I fully believe what that is about. I believe in that. Mm -hmm. I believe that you're connected to God, that we're all a part of God or the universe or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever you want to call your version of that. But um, as much as I believe in that message and that spiritual path, I started sort of researching what that whole movement was about. Well, just the fact that it had actually been kind of a movement Mm -hmm. and it had almost sort of turned into uh, a religion. And for whatever reason, that sort of makes me a little skeptical, not of the teaching, not of mm-hmm. the work, but of the movement. And right. So I don't know. I, I took that message with me and kind of moved on from that book and that type of study just because it, I don't know, You once you attach the word religion to it, it seems <laughs> insincere in my opinion. And started looking to me like one of those, let's pass the plate kind of things. Mm-hmm. As much as I believe in the message, and I do believe that that, that guy was really channeling messages from God, I, I believe all of that. Mm-hmm. I just, there was something about how it, it, it had turned, in, it turned into something else along the way that I just kind of got off that path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you were talking about that you've been reading a lot of Eckhart Tolle, and it was interesting. I'd responded to a blog where somebody had made a comment that if Eckhart Tolle's message was real, that it wouldn't have any money involved, like he wouldn't be selling any of it. And I thought, well, how could he keep bringing you the message if the the level at which he's working, he can't keep bringing the message and putting it out there if he doesn't have a way to put something on the table. And so I think it has a lot to do with, you know, throughout our whole conversation, we've talked about intention. What is the intention? And then you're not going to be able to wrangle what everybody else thinks about that. But if your own intention is... I've got to put this message out that I have because it is, you know, to use what the meaning of the gospel is, it is good news. This is good news for people and people need good news, you know, but, but then there's this other side of that fence where you go, okay, well, there's only so many hours in a day. How do I continue to put the good news out there? If I'm spending all my time selling shoes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Even Jesus uh, himself had, they had a, a treasurer. So somebody was collecting monies so that they could keep eating while he and his disciples went around spreading the good news. And I don't think a lot of people think about it in those terms, which is interesting to me. Yeah, I guess mostly my perspective on that particular book is probably based on my personal experience with with religion, and it's not the same for everybody, and I sort of learned a certain distrust for the organized culture of Christian religion in our in our world and and um but that's probably just me. I think a lot of people feel that way. I think though that you you have to pay attention to what 
your intuition is telling you what you're feeling on those deeper levels. And what's interesting is I think you can get even with things that are not being put out there sincerely, like it's, you know, that saying, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm just thinking of mm-hmm. um, sometimes people who don't believe or don't read anything from the Bible because they don't like a certain experience that they had at a church one time. And I'm like, so create your own experience with that. Go to the source, you know, where that source is more pure, right? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, gosh, I, I guess I figure we as humans can take anything and anything that's pure and start polluting it along the way. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, one of the best things that's happened to me uh, along the way on since I've been kind of on this path is that I've gotten a much better understanding of the Bible. And, you know, I get into these conversations. I have friends that are, uh, that are evangelical Christian types, mm-hmm. and they don't necessarily agree with the path that I'm on. And they'll oh, say, yeah. well, anything that anything that pulls me away from Jesus or pulls me away from the Bible, I don't want to, I don't want that. And I'm like, I don't want to expand or look. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's like, to me, I, I've gained such a much better understanding. I've always thought some of the things in the Bible were just, they've been interpreted funny and the they're not, you know, people will say, well, it's not to be taken literally. It's a metaphor or whatever. And some of it is and some of it isn't. But mm-hmm. reading th- things from a perspective of like Eckhart Tolle, mm-hmm. it, uh, it clarifies so much. And I it, agree. And it, it really has brought me closer to the Christian religion because I can understand now what's going on a lot better than I could when... I was in church or in private school, and someone would say, would say, you must live in the blood of Christ. It's like, what the <laughs> like, hell does that, that mean? I mean, what the flip and flip is that supposed to mean? And I just wouldn't – it always sounded like just some weird made-up crap, you know? And, right. <laughs> but when you see it, when there's people who have a really meaningful interpretation of it, it's like you understand it and you can get closer yes. to it. And the people that I have these conversations with that that aren't into it, that are kind of pushing it away, that's what I want them to know is mm-hmm. if you would give this a chance, it would answer a lot of questions, you know, because yeah. it's not hard to stump somebody about things in the Bible. Well, why is this? You know, and mm-hmm. one of my biggest questions is, has always been, why did there have to be a son of God? If God is omnipotent and all-powerful and all this, why did he have to do anything except for create and mm-hmm. and let it all go? And when you dissect the argument that comes up when that topic is brought up, it just makes no sense. And mm-hmm. I've talked about it with, with people who are deeply into the Christian religion, and they really can't make a whole lot of sense about it. But if you start reading Eckhart Tolle stuff and Dr. Wayne Dyer, all of a sudden it makes sense. Yes. It's like now I understand what that meant, what that represented. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's Those works have done the same thing for me. You know, it was fun when we had that discussion and realized that we you know, not surprisingly, but that we both um, kind of felt that way about it. It's, um, it broadens and deepens your understanding in a way, I think that a lot of people are fearful to, to go. 
It's like if you want to just digest something that someone else is giving you and say, well, someone told me that. And so that's a true thing because I've decided I'm going to be a part of this movement. You haven't really let that become a part of, I think, who you really are. Yeah, it becomes a part of who you are you know, your ego, your perception of yourself, your thoughts. It's like, uh, this is where I categorize myself, you know, in a, in the, Mm -hmm. on the earthly level. But I don't know that you're really getting as close to the real spirit of it as you Mm -hmm. can. Mm -hmm. It's almost like superstition, you know, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to hear that. It's, it's blasphemy. And it's like, you think Mm -hmm. you're going to get struck by a lightning bolt if you go down that path. That's Satan leading me down that path. And I don't want to do that. But if you really check it out, it makes a lot of sense. It, I feel like I've been enlightened since I've been on, on that path. And I don't feel blasphemous or right. <laughs> you know, whatever. I don't, I'm not worried that I'm making God angry and he's going to smite me down. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? Yeah, you know what's interesting to me is I'm always looking at Jesus the man. What was he like? I think Jesus would fully embrace what Eckhart Tolle is talking about and, and Wayne Dyer because he himself was this person who was spreading a message that wasn't what was known at that time. And people were looking at him going, What? That's blasphemous, right? They That's what they him were doing it. to him. Yeah. He was bringing new ideas and all these new ways of looking at things to people. Mm -hmm. And that's what this is doing, too. It's like, okay, let's expand. Let's deepen a little bit. And while I do understand the idea that you don't want to just go off into la-la land and look at anything and everything so that you're confused, that's not what we're talking about. We're just simply talking about works that are put out with loving intentions. When the intention comes from a place of love, which Wayne Dyer and Eckhart Tolle both do, then you're safe inside love. Mm -hmm. Because for me, I mean, that's what God is. (laughs) The verse in 1 Corinthians that talks about the greatest thing, you can have faith, hope, love, these are all great things. The greatest thing is love. So whatever comes through love, we can learn from that and grow in our own understanding. I feel like that's what these works, that's what what it's done for me. Absolutely. Do you feel like since you've been on this path and that's kind of open for you that it has made a difference in your creative endeavors and the way that you write, maybe, for instance, and the way you collaborate? Yeah, it, it has. What I've been able to kind of get in touch with in the last few years since I've kind of been on this path is... I feel like instead of something creative coming from, you know, a thought process that, okay, I need to make something that's going to sound good under a TV ad or whatever, mm-hmm. I think now I'm able to just let it flow from a, a place, a source that's more, that has a little more quality, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, from a divine source. I mean, not always, you know, honestly, you get into situations where you just have to think your way out of it. You just sure. have to put together some little bits of knowledge you have to connect the dots. But I've definitely been a lot more focused on letting a flow happen, a real inspiration happen, instead of trying to think my way through creating. And it's not always there, but it's another thing you just have to practice, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a practice. Absolutely. Well, I'd love to just hear you play a little bit. 
Okay. Again. Uh, I'll just play up through um, a verse and chorus of another song I wrote with Jamie Rowe. I just, I love this, the music that he and I made. If I ever had like a solo album, it would be that Lost Days of Summer stuff because there was no intention except for to enjoy what we did. Uh, mm, makes a yeah, difference. Yeah, we weren't trying to write to be popular or for a TV show or for any radio format. We were just writing stuff that we loved. And so this song uh, came out of this guitar riff um, and we ended up making a whole song out of it, but I'll just play the first little bit of it. It was called You and Me. That was just a verse and chorus. Beautiful. That's beautiful. There's something about just being able to sit and listen to that pure moment of, you know, a songwriter connected to the instrument. There's a sweetness about it. So thank you for oh, that. Oh, you're welcome. I love love doing it, of <laughs> course. Well, I want to play a song uh, here that you've probably heard on the Naked Vibes show before, if you've been listening for a little bit. This is a song called House of Pain that was written by my sister Kelly, and we had so much fun doing a music video with this and if I can locate that then I'll put that in this podcast on the nakedvibes.com site as well so you can see Jamie and see us down in the Trinity River bottoms when we were when we were in um, our 20s <laughs> yeah we were oh, like man. that was that so was, much fun and I love the guitar solo on this song so I'll play this for you this is called House of Pain
was House of Pain by Frankly Scarlet, which Jamie was a part of, and we had loads of fun with that. Yeah, we did. <laughs> That's for a different day. Lots and lots of stories with Frankly Scarlet. So I want to leave everybody with another song from The Lost Days of Summer. This is Jamie's project with Jamie Rowe. And what's the name of this song here? Watching the Days. Tell us just a little bit about this. This song was Jamie Rowe's idea. He had like those first few chords of the verse. Again, we didn't really know what we were writing about for a minute, and we got to the chorus and realized we were writing about the times you go through your life where you feel like you're just getting left behind and you're not attached or connected to anything, and the days are just kind of ticking by and, and you're not living. A cool little fun thing that happened was one morning I woke up super early and just had the song in my head, and I was mm-hmm. hearing it with that groove that comes out of Tomorrow Never Knows, the old Beatles song, that groove. And I was just hearing that imposed into the song, so I 
came downstairs into my basement and literally grabbed that Beatles song and I tried to just rip off the drum groove, but it was in the wrong key. When I transposed it, it didn't really fit. So I just literally <laughs> recreated the exact drum groove out of that song with nice. a with a drum set program and stuck it in there. I mean, it's obvious and I meant for it to be obvious. It wasn't like I thought I was getting away with it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but to me, that this is my favorite Lost Days song, just because I was really Beatle-inspired, and that's my favorite cool. stuff. Nice. We'll take a listen to that. Thank you so much for being on the Naked Vibes show. I've loved spending the time with oh, you. Oh, man, thanks. I'm, thanks for giving me a reason to... A legitimate reason to talk about myself on and on. <laughs> <laughs> no, good. It's been great. It's been great. We'll do it again. Oh, thank you. This is Watching the Days.
This show is sponsored by Rocket You and Kimberly's Rhythmic Movement Meditations. You'll find a link in the show notes on NakedVibes.com for those rhythmic movement meditations so that you can learn how to better shift your energy so that you can transition from fear into more courage so that you can solve problems, have better relationships, and move into more creative, energetic, productive living. Also, be sure to get your free download of the Instant Ignition Worksheet in the show notes on NakedVibes.com. It's got some exercises and other tidbits to help you reduce stress immediately in any circumstance and create more energy and vitality. Just enter your email for the download and you'll get immediate access and you'll get exclusive access to tools for shifting your energy that I only share with my subscribers. You have the freedom to be naked and unashamed about who you truly are. Stand in the truth, love big, and you are aligned with the greatest power in the universe. I'm Kimberly Kane, and this is Naked Vibes. (music) 